Into the hyper time, the hyper time to podcast. And we are doing week three of our little Dwayne McDuffie slash milestone month. And today we will be talking about the back half of Dwayne McDuffie's life, featuring his time with the animation, a few of the books he also wrote as well, and sadly the death and passing and his legacy too. Um, and to do that with me is my friend and co-host, Alan Muir. Alan, how are you? I am well. That's good. These times, it's kind of hard to even say that sometimes. Yeah, I've been getting really back into Jedi Fallen Order. That game's perfect. Yeah, I've been debating whether or not to jump into it now that I have the Xbox and Game Pass. And I'm like, do I? Do I not? Just the time investment, whether or not I, mean, I want to do that. I mean, it is on Game Pass. and. If you watched Clone Wars or Rebels, it's a it's a love letter to both of those. What if I'm not a Star Wars guy at all? Would I still enjoy it? Uh, yeah, there there are elements of it that that feel like it's a Star Wars game, but also a bit of a Metroidvania. And there are elements of God of War. It's a really fun time. Hmm. I might dip in just to just to see. But I'm not and I, not I, sure I, if it'll keep me. Like I'm playing it with uh, mods on on my computer. Mm-hmm. I'm still messing around with lightsaber mods, and it's one of those things where whatever mod you add to it increases the game's like register. Especially if you're a diehard Star Wars fan like I am. So like, um, did you ever watch Attack or not Attack of the Clones? Revenge of the Revenge of the Sith. I think I've seen. Uh, uh, that was episode three. Episode three. Then yes, I actually saw that one in theaters. As you can tell, it left a lasting impression on me. <laughs> uh, I I found a mod that adds a, a certain track on the movie to the main menu. Hmm. And it certainly does set a, set the tone. But the person we're talking about also set a tone. Yeah, so we're going to talk about something that... I mean, you mentioned cl- like Clone Wars. I should have jumped in there since it's animated as well. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to talk about Dwayne McDuffie, um, and the first part will feature the animation side that he did after he left Milestone. And a lot of this stuff I don't have too much on. It's little bits and pieces here and there. Um, a good chunk of what we're going to do today is probably just talk about kind of his legacy, um, how people viewed him, their thoughts on him. So a lot of this episode will have quite a bit of quotes and stuff, but, you know, just... It's a sad one because you kind of see just like everything that this man was capable of and knowing that, you know, at the time of this re- that we post this episode, it will just be a few days away from what would have been his 59th birthday. And he had a long, long run still in him. And it's sad that it was cut off so early. And so we're going to talk about some of that stuff that he was able to do before he left us and kind of the impact he left on the people around him. So we'll start in 1993. Um, This was around the time Milestone started. And there was originally a show that was trying to get off the ground by Alan Burnett. That was going to be about a Milestone team. 
many of the Batman animated series creators were also milestone fans. And so they were trying to get something off the ground that featured the milestone heroes and it didn't happen. Um, but that would later push into what everyone is aware of in the static shock TV show. Um, and that was also something that Alan Burnett kind of took charge in as well. And because of Dwayne's involvement, he brought Dwayne on board. I think it was episode 10 called Bent Out of Shape, which is when Dwayne started writing, at least periodically, for, for the show. Does that episode sound familiar, Alan? Uh, no, I have not got a chance to do, do my extensive rewatch in the four or five days left that DC, that the, the videos will be on DC Universe. I think for sure I'm going to try and watch all the episodes that Dwayne had a part in, because, I mean, I don't know if I'll be able to watch the whole thing with my schedule, but I'd like to at least watch some of the ones that one of the co-creators of the character was able to do <laughs> with the cartoon show itself. So, but yeah, when approaching the cartoon, Dwayne kind of had to factor in several things. So for instance, because it was a half hour show as opposed to an ongoing series and the audience typically skewed younger, they had to tackle it a bit differently than what they were doing in the comics. So while the feel of the character is the same, the topics had to be simplified. So, for instance, the cartoon isn't as violent. Um, certain ideas like politics that they were always working into the milestone books is not something that was going to be a major talking point in the show. And so they would have similar themes, but they would tell it all differently. First and foremost, the thing that they wanted to get across with Static Shock is that they wanted not only the character, but the show in general to be fun. And I don't know if it is since I haven't really got to watch it, but Alan, I know you and Javon are quite fans. So I think they seem to accomplish that there. It, it left a, a lasting impact. Good. And hopefully the same thing can be said with whatever they bring out of static in the future too. So I just, I just want to bring up something that I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't think you have it in your notes. Sure that there's sort of a connection from the show's beginning to DC Rebirth through one of the titles. When New 52 start, or DC, DCU uh, started in like 2014, they started a cyborg book. Mm-hmm. At a certain point, I forgot, who, I forgot who they originally got to write the book, but eventually Marv Wolfman took, took it back over, as he did with pretty much every other um, Teen Titans character. Mm-hmm. When DC Rebirth happened, and they, I wonder, and when at WonderCon 2016, and they were basically selling people on the books, the writer for Cyborg was John Semper Jr., who worked on the Static Shock TV show. Oh, nice! And his run on Cyborg was really good. Like the way he approached the character. I'm gonna have to pick that up because Cyborg is one of those characters like I've always seen on teams. I haven't really seen him kind of on his own, so I've never been sure how well it's pulled off. So I'll take your word for it. I'll check that out. Yeah, like the other, like the DCU version of the ongoing, like I think it was volume two or I think it was volume two. Like volume two, uh, the third volume of Cyborg was taken back over by Marv Wolfman. I think, and I think that John Semper only did a, about six to twelve issues, and 
compared to like the other books, which were bi-weekly, it was, he spent like six to 12 months on the book. So, hmm. yeah, I'll give that a try. I know I've seen the book for sale from time to time, and I'm like, do I pick it up? Do I not? Maybe I need to stop doing that. And so while McDuffie was on the show, there came a point where he was brought onto the Justice League animated show. And that was done after an injury that Paul Dini ended up getting with his hand. And he wasn't able to get the writing process down as well as he could. So they brought Dwayne on board and gave him a chance to write for the show. And as we all know, that continued to happen all throughout Justice League Unlimited and would would later be throughout many of the movies as well. In fact, between the original Justice League show and what would become Justice League Unlimited, there was an idea that they had for a different series to kind of bridge the two. Oh, but, like, uh, just so you can just say unlimited. Yeah, there was supposed to be something that was bridging them, which is where. Yeah, uh, it was it actually turned out to be the crisis on two Earth or two Earths uh, movie. But it was supposed to connect uh, just League season three, just League unlimited season one. So, hmm. yeah, so this was supposed to explain, you know, what happened with that time jump, how they expand the size of the Justice League, all that. Um, but because they weren't able to do both a show and a movie at the same time, they had to scrap it until Bruce Tim reached out to Dwayne McDuffie years later to try it out again um, as a kind of out of continuity universe story. So, so when Dwayne was originally going to do Justice League Unlimited, he was planning on having it be an anthology. Um, he was going to have someone from the original seven go out each episode with the other heroes. But this was eventually dropped after a few episodes when the roster became so large that the groups being used were bigger than what were originally going to be intended for each episode. And so while they were writing all of these heroes that many don't consider you know, top tier, they were starting to change their mindset um, to put those lesser heroes on a higher pedestal to make them equal with those more major heroes. You know, the Green Lanterns, the Hawkmans, Aquaman, Superman, all the, uh, the Crimson Avenger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the 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 episode with um oh, what's his face? The uh he, he he was the he was part of Cadmus. Uh it was the it was the episode with the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I can't believe I I feel horrible for Is not, it Guardian? Not Guardian. Um he was a like he was a colonel or something. He was a, like a high ranking uh, military officer. Oh, he, I know who you're talking about. I'm, yeah, I can't think of what his name is. But uh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. And like they they did like they connected all the way back to the 40s with the seven soldiers, soldiers of victory. <laughs> but like having Shining Knight, Green, Green Arrow, uh, Speedy, Crimson Avenger. Star and Stripe and Shining Knight. It was just brilliant. Yeah, I think there was an interview with Dwayne where he was talking about how much he loved being able to write about all these heroes I wasn't familiar with. Um, I think Shining Knight was one of the ones he brought up. He's like, it's so awesome, you know, having a superhero story with this dude who's like a knight in armor <laughs> standing yeah, right next to him. <laughs> like when I was watching, when I was watching Just League Unlimited and this like in the period from when I started watching it to when I started rewatching it while I was re- when I started and when I started reading comics, I was like, where's where's Shining Knight? 
And then I read <laughs> Infinite Cri or, or uh, Identity Crisis, and yeah, it's yeah. it's why when a certain when a certain uh, episode of Star Girl ha ha happened, I lost it. <laughs> so another thing that Dwayne was going to do when he was, you know, doing different episodes and later the movies, he wanted to approach stories that they were adapting from the comics into animation differently. Um, they would reach out to the creators for approval so they could actually do it, but they would also try and mix up the story a bit so it felt different than the books, which would make it less boring to the fans who already knew the story so they could still have some sort of surprise, I guess, when they were watching the episode and it wasn't just a one-for-one -one remake, essentially. Um, so the idea was that, you know, you know these stories and how they play out, but shake it up and keep it interesting. And one example was that Dwayne disliked Wonder Woman not getting her time to shine in The Man Who Has Everything, in Alan Moore's story. Um, so in the animation, they made her more equal in the outcome. She didn't just... If I remember right, in the book, doesn't she get kind of knocked out off panel when he's in a dream or something? It's been a while since I've read the book. I think she was actually there. It was uh, her, Batman, and Robin. Yeah. And... Yeah, Alan Moore, just him worshiping the serpent god, I think probably made him a little uh, sexist. <laughs> I can see that. He has a lot of uh, fascination with rape in his stories in but, particular. <laughs> then again, this was during the time that Batmania was, was just cannot be contained. <laughs> and running wild. And I also, I kind of don't like the, the one thing I didn't like about like the only gripe I had with Just League Unlimited and Just League in general that they was that they couldn't use certain characters like or they there were sidekick characters that they couldn't use because the Teen Titan show was running at the same time. Oh, it's like they had Michael Rosenbaum on an episode of Teen Titans playing a younger version of Wally. Mm. And it's just perfection because they kind of mess with his voice to make it sound like he's younger than he than he is. <laughs> That's cool. I don't know if I've seen that episode ten times. I'm gonna have to go see if I can find that. Frankly, anything that Dwayne McDuffie like, uh, I'm not trying to say he had the Midas touch with a lot of stuff he touched, like in terms of writing and everything. But there's a reason that the like after when he passed away and his last credit was uh, Just League Doom, that it was in my in my eyes the last great DC animated movie. Yeah. I'm trying to think, didn't they reboot the whole animated universe after that? Or was it a few movies afterwards? Like where they went, like the new 52 were out. Oh, uh, that was after Flashpoint Paradox. They immediately went into this. Uh, That's right. DCAU. And they, they went rolling for like from Just League War to the most recent one, hmm. Just League Dark, Dark Side War, I think. And even then. The only good things I can I want to say about them is that a, cer a certain guy by the name of Matt Ryan just kicks all the ass as John Constantine. <laughs> yeah, I really liked his Constantine, the animated show, anime movies. It was really good. I still need to finish watching that. I just I just watched the Death and Return of Superman, so that's kind of next on my agenda is the Dark Side War movies. Certain things I don't like. I didn't like about the like things post McDuffie. For example, the whole 
it just felt too much like I was reading Just League, the Just League book from the New Fifty Two, and the way they redid events or certain events. So like another another example was having Damien be like the only the only active Robin. The only time, like the only thing we got was Dick Grayson in one of the, I think it was, is it Just League versus Teen Titans? Because mm-hmm. I remember one of them, I, it's gotten to the point where I can't watch DC animated, like the mo- modern stuff. So I just watched DC Universe Abridged. <laughs> and frankly, that's where I get my DC animated universe entertainment these days. I might need to do that because I'm so behind on all that stuff. So they had Superman be very, uh, what's the word? Very, he was basically the way Cap was in the Ultimate Universe. Mm. Like America first. They have Alfred as played by Sean Connery or as voiced by Sean Connery. <laughs> they had, I think, uh, Lex Luthor and Green Arrow ran for president. <laughs> I mean, just give the keys to the DC animated universe to those to those people, the people making DC Universe abridged. <laughs> is it the is it Team Four Star? Uh, no, it, unfortunately. No. So I know they've been doing a ton of abridged stuff, so I wasn't sure if they were doing that one too. I mean, there's there's so much abridged stuff out, out there. Like, yeah, I'll I'll uh, send you a link to the to the YouTube cha- page where all that great stuff can be found. Okay. And now, back to the episode. So while we're talking about uh, some of the classic stories that they're telling, um, one of Dwayne's personal favorites was All-Star Superman, uh, which was the last film that he was able to see to completion um, before his passing. But specifically with that book, it... So typically... Okay, so back up a little bit. Typically when they would look at classic stories that they could tell... They wanted to try find a story that had both a good story itself and a hook. Some stories would have one or the other, and so they would have to piece together the part that was missing in a way that they could. But with All-Star Superman, Dwayne felt it had so much to pick from, so their idea was to take the core story, and then they could kind of take whatever they wanted to from what was around it to piece everything else together. And in doing so, they could also give it its unique flair, and, you know, out came the All-Star Superman animated film, which is spectacular. It is amazing and very true to the Grant Morrison version as well. You know, Dwayne, there's one scene in particular. I mean, there's two scenes he really regrets not being able to put in there, but he felt it would just not fit. One was the scene that I think everyone knows where Reagan, the girl, is standing on the edge of the building, planning yeah. on jumping. You know, that was one that he wasn't able to get in there and he really regrets because he felt that was a scene that defines Superman perfectly, but it just didn't work with the story they were telling. So they had to leave that out. Um, the same with the time travel as well. Another scene he wanted to put in there and just couldn't. So it's stuff like that, that he kind of had to work around just kind of piecing together what would fit best in these movies. And I think, I think he did a great job. I can't think of a single movie that was put out during his time that I look at and go, eh, I don't like the pacing. I don't like how you chose this scene over this scene. And I think he did a great job. Um, him and everyone involved did a great job with that. But while we're talking about animation here, and this will be the last part, 
it's important we talk about the criticism he would get for using Jon Stewart over Hal Jordan in the shows. And this was something he found oddly misplaced because he didn't create Jon Stewart. He didn't choose to put Jon in there over Hal. It was kind of pushed onto him to use Jon. But as he wrote him, he found John more interesting and would continue to tell stories with John, including, you know, the relationships with Shaira and Vixen in particular. So because he was getting criticized for this heavily, he came up with an idea on how he would respond to these people who would come up to him at conventions and would, you know, give him crap for it. And I'm not sure if he ever got to use it, but his whole plan was that he would start talking about how big of a fan he was of Hal Gordon and just <laughs> ramble on and on about Hal Gordon's greatness just to irritate the fans that he was you know, such a big fan of this character that he was purposely, you know, mispronouncing the name on. And also, um, by the time of Just League, like the animated, the show, the show's um, debut, Hal had been... He, he was a specter at this point. He was no longer Green Lantern. Yep. And yeah, he wouldn't be Green Lantern for, geez, what was it? Come back till 2004? Is that right? Yeah. So like, when Rebirth was? Uh, yeah. Green Lantern Rebirth was, was like 2004. And I mean, they technically they did have him. They had, they had Hal, Hal Gordon on first, like, first, like a few seconds. <laughs> And Adam Baldwin portrayed Hal Gordon, <laughs> but there's like a lot of pe- a lot of people from that f- from the '90s that were like kids of the '90s and grew up and like, became adolescent in the 2000s. If you ask them who Green Lantern is, they're gonna say, I imagine quite a few of them would say John Stewart, or if they were shown a picture of Green Lantern and shown Hal Jordan, they wouldn't do anything. And if they saw either John Stewart, Kilowog. Or the giant head who gets killed in every time, every single appearance he makes. <laughs> They'll point to John Stewart because the way he, that he was written, he was an actual character. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to derail the show, but do you remember Heat? Heat? Uh, it was an acronym when Kyle Rander made his debut. Uh, you might have to remind me. It's uh, not ringing a bell. People, uh, it was in, I think, Wizard. Uh, Hal's Emerald Action Team. <laughs> People who just horrible to Ron Mars. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, because Kyle's my Green Lantern. He's the one I grew up with. But I don't have resentment towards any <laughs> other character. It's just he's my preference. It's weird how people get so attached and they can't be bothered to even give others a chance in the limelight. It's It's kind of sad. Yeah, like me being who I am, my Green Lantern is John Stewart. Mm-hmm. And like it took the Just League No Surrender book or the one the the four issue miniseries to introduce John as the leader of the Green Lanterns. Or not the leader of the Green Lanterns, the leader of the Just League. Mm. And I think it was 2012, 2013. They had there uh, I think I've mentioned it before. There was a writer who was going to that wanted to kill off John Stewart, huh. and DC had was having none of it. So the writer just said okay and left. <laughs> and John Stewart and the Green Lanterns basically went away, and Sinestro took over. 
back when they had that that odd time where even though it was like five years ago, half of the books were being that were public, being published were villain titles. Mm-hmm. So like uh, Sinestro, uh, Deathstroke, because <laughs> of Arrow, and I'm glad I'm kind of glad that that period is over. So yeah, I mean, like when I think of John Stewart. It's the Justice League show that I think of. Like yeah, that like, is my definitive John Stewart. I don't know why it's it's this quote, but every time I think of how, of uh, John Stewart, I think of um, it's the episode with when Amazo came back in Justice League Unlimited. Oh, mm-hmm. and Doctor Fate shows up and say, he just says oh, the android's nature is benign, and just Phil Lamar saying benign. You call destroying Oa benign. <laughs> I wonder what what it, what it was like, just the interaction between Graham McDuffie and Phil Lamar, because Phil Lamar voiced John Stewart and Virgil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they and seem those... to have a pretty good friendship going on. Like I know he's pretty vocal about how much he enjoyed his time around Dwayne, and yeah, I feel like he's been pretty... I know, I think I have a quote or two from him in here. Um, I think he's done stuff with the like Dwayne McDuffie award too, like hosting it and stuff. So I, f- I feel like they must've been pretty close friends. Yeah. Because I mean, we're, we're probably going to get to it, but the episode, or I don't know if we'll get to it, but the episode where Richie gets shot and this was a cartoon that was airing or with the target demographic of kids. Mm-hmm. And I, I learned this when I, when I read the, after reading return of the or rebirth of the cool or return of the cool, the, uh, 2000, 2001, three issue mini, when, as compared to reading the New 52 version of Static, those are two different books. <laughs> or two different characters. Like the New 52, New, New 52 one was, like, from the cover, from the like the designs, I felt like it was going after the member berries. <laughs> For, like, people who watched the cartoon. Whereas... The one that the miniseries that Dwayne McDuffie wrote that was actually telling a story and John Paul Leon's art on Static, fantastic. Yeah, I still need to read that before we do our episode talking about all that stuff. So hopefully, I will be able to get to that by the time we get to that episode. Volume one of Static will be released. So, well, that is all I kind of have for the animation side of it. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we move to some of this other stuff? Well, he also had success with Cartoon Network on Ben 10. Mm-hmm. But I never really got into that because I didn't. F- I felt like I wasn't the target demo. Yeah, same here. Like that appeals to kids and only kids. Mm-hmm. But I remember uh, it was 2012 and I was I went to my I went to my local comic book short, uh, local comic book store. And this is a place that's no longer around be- because Hurricane Sandy f- screwed up everything on Long mm. Island. I've, like, actually, it hasn't. Ha- aside from the way things have been recently, it was the wor- things were horrible. Like on level, not the level of COVID, but the level of places closing down, everything. Mm, yeah. So and like, I really miss that place, like my that that store because not only did I have spend days working there, but I like. Me and the owner were like we were we were good friends too, 
But I remember, aside from the story I told about buying $500 worth of trades and single issues, uh-huh. by the time of, I think it was the end of my junior year of high school, I wanted to get into weekly comics. And ironically, that was like, I was also supposed to get small surgery as well at the end, like a week or two after I finished my exams. And then I find out from, I forgot what site it was, New 52. Hmm. But I still read the books and I still, like, I'm forgetting which, like, it was, it was early 2012 and the store was renting movies and games, which is how I got Elia Noir, (laughs) which I kind of regret. (laughs) Because, like, with autism, I just can't read people. But simply put, I watched uh, Just League Doom and then when I was just checking, I think, Twitter, I found out that Dwayne McDuffie passed away and that hurt. Yeah, it just feels like the people who should be taken care of by the universe and everything and the people who shouldn't is inverted. So end of rant. (laughs) End of rant, beginning of the comic talk of where he was post milestone. So we know Dwayne focused a lot on animation after milestone, but that didn't stop him from writing comics from time to time. He would do books like Fantastic Four. He wrote a miniseries called Beyond Firestorm. He did some Batman work. As you mentioned, Stack Shock, Rebirth of the Cool, um, Milestone Forever, and more. And we can talk about a lot of this stuff in the next episode when we kind of go over all these different books we want to read. But there's one thing we have to talk about because it's kind of, in a way, the worst part of his comics career post milestone as if things and, to quote uh that line if that line has that has not become a meme this deal gets keeps getting worse all the time <laughs> yeah like if you know stack 25 was the montreal screw job <laughs> this is like i don't even know if there would be another one on par with that but uh, it's it's pretty close <laughs> It would be the Montreal Screwjob times 100. <laughs> yeah, so we're specifically talking about Justice League of America and his runoff back in like 2009. And that is because DC decided to let him go in the middle of his run before he could finish everything he was going to tell. And this was... Well, Alan, do you want to tell this? I know this was something you had to want to talk about last episode, so... Yeah, so if there's one thing that that was that can be said about Dwayne McDuffie, he really did connect with uh, the fans and the readers. Mm-hmm. Whether it's talking about Hal Gordon <laughs> or just like literally interacting with the with the readers via message boards. As I mentioned on a previous episode, there's an interview we can find on YouTube where he mentions getting onto Justice League after a very successful run by Brad Meltzer. And there were characters that he, he was told to put in. And the artist, uh, as, we, as the way he told it, uh, the artist made a mock-up of all the new characters that were added, like uh, Vixen, Firestorm, Jason Rush ver- version of Firestorm, Jon Stewart, and more. And someone leaked it, and there was mass hysteria. <laughs> at least from the comic, books, comic book fans. Which is, which would now, in, if that happened today, it'd be Comicscape people. Like Ethan Van Scarver. Yep. And it's another thing that that will just live in my head forever because I just, and not like a 
living like living my head rent free. I I'm paying its rent <laughs> to live up there in that memory. He McDuffie's turning to Justice League all black. He's getting rid of the white guys. <laughs> <laughs> Love it so much. And and then and then there's also his quote of the, like the realities of being a black writer in comics, with him saying. What he like that is he's constantly being told that he's trying to shove his agenda down people's throats, and he then adds, which sounds sexually charged to me. Uh huh. The st- the storyline, there's a certain storyline that he was writing that basically taken off the book, and ironically, it was the back in 2011 before Sandy. It was one of the trades that I'd like brought to school with me because I would take my comics to school with me, mm-hmm. and he posted it on the message boards. I don't mean read the quote. Yeah, I think I don't remember how many quotes I have here from. But yeah, it was just, you know, him being very open with the fans about what was going on that would ultimately be the catalyst for DC take him off the book completely. But yeah, here's some quotes about what he was actually posting to people there answering their questions. So yeah, if you want to start reading them, go right ahead. Yes, Anansi is supposed to be me. And the story arc is about my not having control of the stories in my book. Ironically, both the Anansi Vixen story and the parallel Red Tornado arc were supposed to be smaller B and C plots in a much larger arc involving Luther's plans for my first arc, Sorrow and Despero, that I wasn't able to do because of other plans in the DCU. And when regarding the, the Injustice League, I originally intended for that story to run six issues but it had to be cut for Suicide Run. So I made up a new secret Luther plot that let the time to the beginning or to the dangling Perdegaton plot from Brad's run. But it turned out that Jeff ha- had, Jeff Johns already had plans to wrap that up. So I've come up with a third Luther plot, but I'm not sure when I'll get back to it as I'm fairly tightly plotted for the next couple of years. I will get to it though, I promise. Actually, I, I can't take over. I can't, can you take over? Yeah, no problem. So here's another quote he has. Um, Actually, my intention was to keep Red Tornado in the computer for quite a while, both to keep him off stage for a bit and to set up another storyline I had notions of exploring. But DC needed him back in his body immediately for a miniseries. So I planned the Amazo rematch as a B plot in another story. Unfortunately, that story had to be dropped because of something else that was planned in another title. So I pushed up the Vixen arc to take that place, but as I was writing it, I found out certain things about Final Crisis that forced me to cut the Vixen arc short. And then another one here. Uh, Final Crisis and other events left me without access to any of the characters that I want on the team. I couldn't just have everyone disappear mid-arc, so I had it happen on camera. Losing the big guns was a big problem for me, so I decided to make it a problem for Black Canary. Fortunately, it also let me pull the trigger on the Hal Jordan League, which I've either which I've been either riding around or spinning my wheels to sync up with since my first issue on the book. And there are more quotes um, that can be found in the sources. Um, There's a way back machine link to a CBR article. Um, So if you want to read more about some of the stuff that he was posting on those boards, please go check that out. So. My question, because I think I know what he's referring to in terms of, in terms of Hal Jordan League, was he referring to Cry for Justice or what would become Cry for Justice? Uh, I think so, yeah. Because, man, that... Is yeah, just... that was a thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, man, I, I don't like 
I don't like saying saying bad things about James Robinson because, like, I've loved practically every everything he's wrote, like Starman, JSA, Justice Society, but having like a bunch of characters in a story literally yell like yell out justice <laughs> over and over again in the story. And then there's the whole thing with Roy uh, losing his arm, mm-hmm. and then his daughter. Yeah, I feel like it was around this time that people started to get wind of all the editorial interference that was happening behind the scenes. And I think it was also starting to affect many of the writers as well. But for the most part, a lot of that was kind of all rumors until, you know, Dwayne in particular was very much bringing this to the attention of the fans. And that's something I've always appreciated. You know, that's part of why I wanted to do this podcast is because there's not enough stories of things that happen behind the scenes because so much is supposed to be secretive. You know, I've listened to an interview with uh, Jeff Johns and it's kind of unrelated to everything here, but there was something that really bothered me is that he mentioned that he didn't like really talking about anything behind the scenes in particular. And that bugs the hell out of me. Like I love the creation process. I love knowing how characters are created and you know, what goes into the thinking about how arcs are planned. And I love that kind of stuff. And so seeing like Dwayne lay it out here and knowing how much of it is supposed to be all hush, hush. Don't, don't let anyone know that the editorial teams are screwing everything up for these writers. It's so frustrating. And I can see his frustration in it. And I like that he was able to put some of that into the book. Cause now it's, I mean, it won't be much longer, I guess, but it was continuity <laughs> in a way <laughs> that he basically threw DC under the bus for how they're handling things. But yeah, it's it's depressing to know like how far it went in that because they couldn't just man up to the fact that they couldn't let the creative teams do their own thing, that they decide to let go <laughs> the person who was bringing this all to light. I hate it. So, yeah, I mean, I keep forgetting who I'm trying to. I'm trying to look up the uh, the whole what I was referring to with John with John Stewart during the Fifty Two. This is why I hate SEO. <laughs> well, if you but, want, I can move on while you look for it. Yeah. Okay. And so, yeah, that Justice League thing kind of put it into all of his comic stuff for the most part. Um, so I just kind of want to throw this in here because it's, you know, this was an important part of his life. Um, and that would be Charlotte, his wife, uh, Charlotte Fullerton McDuffie. Um, so Charlotte and Dwayne actually met up on a first date after being set up with, uh, Eugene's son. Someone that I believe they both had worked with. I know Dwayne did for sure. I think Charlotte also did too. Um, and beforehand, Charlotte knew nothing about Dwayne prior to meeting him. So she kind of planned on just a short, like hour long date and really had no idea what to expect. She wasn't familiar with Dwayne really up to this point. Um, what was planned to just be a short little date ended up being a five hour long (laughs) session of them talking, I guess. Um, so here's kind of something that she mentioned about who Dwayne was when she first met him. I wasn't familiar with Milestone or Dwayne's work with Justice League. I thought, okay, he's just this nice guy. We went out to lunch on Tuesday. 
I thought, okay, I can have lunch with anybody for an hour. The joke is I was expecting him to be one of those superhero fanboys who doesn't have any other topic of conversation. Like, and then in Aquaman 547, uh huh. I thought I'd be looking at my watch or that we would have nothing to talk about. So that Matt and Eugene sure are nice guys, aren't they? Yep, they sure are. But we hit it off like you wouldn't believe. I still don't believe it. I thought Eugene and Matt had fed him lines about what to say. Like, who is this guy? How do we know each other so well? We were hitting it off right out of the gate. Our first date lasted five hours. The restaurant was dimming the lighting and the staff was going off shift changing it for dinner. By the time we left, we joked we should have had our second date. Richard Feynman, my favorite physicist, came up in conversation. Dwayne did the gesture with his water glass that Feynman famously did with a conjunction with the Challenger disaster and the O-ring failure. The fact that he did it and I recognized it, I was like, okay, this is crazy. And so they would continue doing their thing and in 2009, they would get married, and shortly after, they would move in together um, into a new house. And I wanted to bring up Charlotte here because she is very important for something that comes on later down the road in terms of the legacy that she is trying to help solidify for Dwayne. But sadly, the next part I have is kind of what leads to that in both his death um, and kind of the impact he had on people. So before I get into that, Alan, did you find what you were looking for or do you need me to keep going? Yeah, I, I found it. Okay. So this is from uh, March of 2013. And it turns out actually I got the whole thing wrong. <laughs> so have you heard of Josh Falkoff? Yeah. He was a writer on both Green Lantern Corps and Red Lanterns. And he mentions that there were editorial decisions about the direction of the book. I wanted that conflicted with the story I wanted was hard to tell. And I felt that it was better to let DC tell their story the way they want. I'm grateful for the opportunity and I'll miss working with the entire Green Lantern team. And he didn't exactly say what led him leaving the books, but apparently a, a quote, quote unquote high profile in, industry source said that DC asked him to kill off how, uh, John Stewart. <laughs> and Bleeding Cole also noted that at the time, the DC co-publisher Dan DiDio promised creators a DC summit that any story arcs pitched tutorial will not be altered once <laughs> given the green light. So, yeah. And the thing is, it was bad in general for DC. Like, as um, Andy Diggle left his, like, he had one volume or one collect, like, six issues of Action Comics or maybe even less than that, and he left. Oh, that's right. He did have that short little stint on Action Comics before. And this, uh, and the it included uh, Chris Roberson, Greg Rucka, mm. and Rob Liefeld. Yeah. <laughs> and surprisingly, they have not tried to kill him off ever since then. <laughs> and yes, basically two, two, two more creators departing DC books over editorial disputes. You would think it would come to their attention that like, maybe they should let the writers, the, the creative team be the creatives on the book that they were assigned to instead of supposedly create the stories that the people not <laughs> writing the books are 
wanting them to tell. Yeah, it's as if it's as if that DC at the time wanted a puppet to write their story, <laughs> or like ghost writing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or the thing that Ed Norton has in contracts apparently with every movie he does, they gets to ghost write, re- ghost rewrite the the, the script. <laughs> Can you can you imagine what would have happened if he was never never replaced him for Avengers? Oh man! Can, can you picture what that movie would look like? <laughs> and I'm saying that mm. someone who is a fan of Mar- of both Mark Ruffalo and then Edward Norton, I think it'd be. I don't think it would have made all that money. I want to say he's hard to work with. I want to say I've heard that that Norton's just someone people don't like working with. I could be wrong. But I don't know. So uh, let's get to the part that is. I mean, we're we're talking about stuff that's depressing. So let's just rip the bandit off. Yep. Let's go ahead and uh, just get to it. So on February twenty first, two thousand eleven, um, the day after he turned forty nine, Dwayne McDuffie died from complications during emergency heart surgery. His mother, Edna McDuffie Gardner, and wife, Charlotte, uh, both survived by him. But, you know, his death left a mark that I don't think anyone has been able to quite touch since then. You know, reading through all these different pieces after he died and articles that has quotes from different writers and everything... You know, nowadays, you, I mean, I guess it was there too, but I wasn't really on it. But, you know, on Twitter now, you see all these writers and stuff talk to each other. And, you know, for a long time there, you didn't really see any of the interactions with all these different creative teams. Unless, I guess, you were at cons or something. But or, it's seeing. Or unless you, uh, I don't know why I'm bringing it up, but I just have to because I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I just don't know how I feel about it. Okay. So during the uh, the second part, the second phase of DC's layoffs, which I brought up previously during the Omniverse uh, special we did, mm-hmm. uh, Tom King was mentioning that uh, I think it was Mark Doyle who was leaving. It's either Mark Doyle or someone else. Tom King said some things on Twitter, like compliments and stuff. And Tom Brevoort said, just... It was just a weird thing that Tom Brevoort kind of went after Tom King. I think I remember saying that. Like, that Tom was apparently hard to work with himself. Mm. And that he drove said person off, like, with abuse and stuff. I'd attempt to find the tweet, but Tom Brevoort is a madman on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, now, now it's not too hard to see, like, all of them talking with each other and... You know, I always find it funny when they attack Ethan Van Skyver. I do appreciate that. <laughs> I, seeing, where, seeing where my favorite creators lie. I I just enjoyed the, the I enjoyed the little totally fake rivalry with like the loosest quotes or like the, the loosest air quotes that Doc Shaner and MH Gerards were having. <laughs> what when they because they were working they were working even like odd even on uh strange adventures. 
like the yeah, just like this fake bitter rivalry. Yeah, I always I I love seeing that kind of stuff. And I also like that when comic creators, as I mentioned, Dwayne McTuffy posted on message boards. If he were still alive, he'd be. I'm. I know for sure he'd be. I have a feeling he'd be using Twitter. <laughs> like, I think Liam Sharp is still. I really hope he's still following me on Twitter because I love that man's voice. It's very has a lot of bass in it, and he's one hell of an artist. And then there was I, I brought up to Brian Hitch that I enjoyed his uh, Just League of America run before Rebirth happened, and I think you interacted with him. On, on Twitter using the Hypertime account. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I try to interact with some of the creators here and there with the with the account. Seems to work. <laughs> yeah. Like so, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, so seeing, like, after Dwayne passing, have different creators come out and talk to about him, it's it kind of warms your heart in a way, because, you know, you don't, at least back then, you never really got to see them all talk about each other very much going through this and actually seeing some of that, seeing how impactful he was to all of them is, is pretty nice. You know, I, I, I'll just read this little part here. I have. Um, so to say that his death left a hole in the industry is a gross reduction on his legacy and friendships with the people within it. He created not only characters that gave the underrepresented some representation, but also universe for some of these characters that both felt real and genuine to them as well. Um, doors were opened for creators that were previously shut and the industry changed um, though not to the full extent it needs to um, to represent more than just straight white males and so much of that can come back to Dwayne McDuffie um, and so I have a bunch of quotes here from different creators I have found and there's so much more <laughs> in the sources if you if anyone listening wants to go look through it do you want me to just take all these or do you want to read some of them too uh, sure. Sure. Uh, on which part? <laughs> oh, uh, I'll take the first three. Okay. So this one, this one's from Michael Davis. Quote: I have a PhD, and Dwayne McDuffie is literally the smartest guy I ever met. Next one's from Dennis Cowan. He is literally the best writer I've ever worked with. What Dwayne and I did together was unique and special, and wasn't equaled by anyone else. I always joked it was Lennon and McCartney, because it really was. And then this one's from Kevin Rubio. He was six foot seven, built like a house, and a lot of times mistaken for an ex football player. But his demeanor his demeanor was just the opposite. He was a very gentle person. Then this one is from Reggie Hudland. Uh, he says, Dwayne spoke up at a cost to his career, but that's what men of courage do. That's what men of integrity do. And that's what Dwayne was. Phil Lamar. There are a lot of people who are conscious of race in the comic book industry, and Dwayne definitely was. He and I talked about it like, why does a black character have to have the word black in their name? The main theme I see as a through line in Dwayne's work is heart and mind. He was able to universalize the personal. Bob Harris says, I think his greatest contribution in a lot of ways was he showed a bunch of liberal New Yorkers that they really weren't doing enough to bring diversity to comics. It was amazing for an assistant editor when you think about it, because an assistant editor is supposed to be someone who'll Xerox and say, yes, sir. But Dwayne basically said, look at what we're doing. There's a large group of fans out there who are not seeing themselves. Um, there are also, I just put a bunch of quotes in cause I loved reading all. <laughs> 
So Matt Wayne says, Dwayne's idea of a crazy weekend was he would go to a bookstore and buy three or four new books, a bunch of magazines, a box of cookies, and a gallon of milk, and go home. Uh, Mark Wade says, It's really fairly rare, even in an industry as tightly knit as ours, and I think as fraternal as ours, to find someone that everybody really likes. Uh, Charlotte says, He used to say that he was Superman and I was Batman. He said, that's why I'm always stressed out because I have a million different contingency plans. If this happens, I'll do this. If this happens, I'll do this. He said he's Superman. He has the ego the size of a planet and that he can walk into any situation and assume his natural intellectual superiority, which carries him through. He said with a smile, but I think he also meant it. A lot of self-confidence and rightfully so. Ivan Velas Jr., this is something that when I emailed him, he responded back with he said he was a mentor and had a real hands-on approach with all the talent and clear direction of each title he was somewhat fatherly and used to joke about studying up on childcare to help with editing us his ideas were strong and he had the final say on things and even when he didn't disagree he was able to listen to arguments and new ideas and would implement them if it felt right he was the best editor i ever had which saddens me greatly since he spoiled me for everyone else Let's say that sometimes you don't know how good you have it until it's gone. Uh, Eugene Sun says he knew that there were a lot of amazing African-American, Hispanic, gay, lesbian, women, Asian creators that were really talented. He always wanted to be giving people their chance and thought that all you had to do was fish around a little bit and you would pull out amazing talent. And the last one I have here is from Christopher Priest. He says, Dwayne is one of the only intellectuals I've ever met that I can win an argument with. Most people, certainly most intellectuals, have a serious ego problem that prohibits their saying the words, okay, you're right. But if you present a reasonable argument and empirical evidence, you can win an argument with Dwayne. That taught me a lot. Dwayne taught me it was okay to be wrong. Being wrong doesn't make you a failure or a loser. It costs Dwayne nothing, absolutely nothing, to say, Okay, you're right. And that amazed me. So, yeah, he left quite an impression on people. And I would hope to God (laughs) some of the people that know me could say stuff like that to me about me when I'm dead. But I'm definitely no Dwayne McDuffie. That's for sure. And so the next part here, I am going to kind of run down some of the awards and nominations he got throughout his career some of which came post-mortem. So some of these include the Writers Guild of America West Animation Writers Caucus, fourth annual animation writing award. In 2003, McDuffie would receive the Humanitas Award for an episode on gun violence without within static shock called Jimmy. And the award is typically given to TV and film writers who promote human dignity, meaning, and freedom. He has 11 Parents' Choice Awards for comics he wrote throughout his career, uh, six Best Editor Awards. In 1996, he won the Golden Apple Award through the Roper School for use of popular art to promote and enhance human dignity. He was nominated for the Writers Guild Award for his Justice League episode, Starcrossed. Uh, in 1995, uh, he got three Eisners, three Eisner Awards for his comics, um, including Best Writer for Icon, Best Editor for Worlds Collide, Zombie and Shadow Cabinet, and the Best Continuing Series for Icon. 
He was nominated for a Daytime Emmy Awards for Stack Shock. Uh, in 2008, Wizard Magazine readers voted him as favorite breakdown talent in their Fane Awards. And he won the Comic-Cons um, International's Inkpot Award in 2009. But probably the award I'm assuming he would be most proud of is something that came about um, after his death. And as the Dwayne McDuffie Legacy Award for Diversity in Comics. So the first Dwayne McDuffie Legacy Award for Diversity in Comics was presented in 2014 at the Long Beach Comic Expo. Um, it had been in the works for several years and was originally thought up by writer-actor Neo Edmond. Um, every year at the Long Beach Comic Expo in February, an award is typically given to one of five finalists chosen by a selection of comic and animation professionals after an initial submission period. And the award is meant to honor not only Dwayne McDuffie in name, but what he stood for, which is diversity and inclusion in comics. So some former winners... Um, in 2015, um, MFK by Nyla Magruder. 2016, Miss Marvel by G. Willow Wilson and Adrian Alfona. Marvel Entertainment. I guess I'll put the uh, publication there. Uh, 2017, Upgrade Soul by Ezra Clayton Daniels. 2018, Leon, Protector of the Playground by Jamar Nicholas. Kids Love Comics. And 2019, Archival Quality by Ivy Noel Ware and Christina Stewart, and that's Oni Press. And so given the problems in 2020, um, this is something that Charlotte McDuffie gave regarding the award. Given our initial COVID delay this spring and now the current timing, we've done a lot of soul searching about launching a pop culture contest amidst such serious civil unrest. Whether it would have been frivolous at best, opportunistic at worst, we decided that Dwayne would have been resoundingly, unquestionably on the side of having this inclusive award in his name not only be continued uninterrupted despite all the events so far in 2020, but that it be announced right now during his impressive worldwide during this impressive worldwide demand for long overdue change. We as a society, as human beings, as beings who are all human, desperately need more diverse voices and content in our collective media. We have always needed this. If not now, when? Dwayne used to say, if you can see it, you can be it. Representation matters. Don't start none, won't be none. None here being representation in the media. I'm calling on all diverse creators to submit their work. Please. The world needs your voices. From invisible to inevitable. And that last line was taken from a former interview that uh, Dwayne had. I believe we read that in the first episode. And so when I was doing these notes, the finalists haven't been determined yet, but the judges have. And so the judges for 2020 are uh, Colleen Duran, Jamal Igel, Joe Illage, Heidi McDonald, Kevin Rubio, Jeffrey Thorne, Will J. Watkins, Matt Wayne, and Marv Wolfman. And then the last bit I have here before my little random trivia section... Um, is touching on the Dwayne McDuffie Foundation. So Charlotte McDuffie wanted to continue Dwayne's legacy somehow. And so what she ended up doing was uh, founding and handling the Dwayne McDuffie Foundation. And this came upon almost immediately following his death when uh, family and friends and fans, companies, were all trying to find ways to make charitable donations in Dwayne's name. 
And so to her, she came up with the Dwayne McDuffie Foundation, which is meant to help. Here's a quote from her about what, what the Dwayne McDuffie Foundation is supposed to mean. I'm sure there's some little miniature Dwayne McDuffie wannabe that's driving his or her parents crazy right now. A kid like Dwayne was someone that would benefit greatly from the rigorous academics of a private school like that, but couldn't necessarily afford it. I think things like that would be a perfect avenue for the Dwayne McDuffie Foundation. And so it is a non-profit organization to help afford kids of diverse backgrounds by awarding them scholarships. Um, they are they always accept funds through their GoFundMe. Um, there is a link to that GoFundMe in the show notes. Please visit it. Please donate if you can. Um, it's an awesome idea. Great way to honor Dwayne's legacy. Again, link is in the show notes. It'll be on VGU.TV as well. Please, if you can, donate to it. And then lastly, I have a bunch of random notes here of things I just couldn't quite fit in anywhere else over these last episodes. So one thing that never got to see the light of day came about a week prior to the all-star Superman animated film premiere in which he scripted. Uh, Dwayne was contacted by the people for Samuel L. Jackson to start writing movies and work with Sony. So possibly he would have had some sort of film that featured Samuel L. Jackson in. Sadly, never happened. Oh, man, that would have been great. <laughs> it would have been fantastic. As I mentioned, All-Star Superman was one of, if not the most favorite Superman story that Dwayne had. And sadly, the animated film released the day after he died. Very, very sad he never got to see the reception to that. I think he would have been proud. Alan, you mentioned this in the last one with Keegan-Michael Key. Do you want to mention that one again now? Yeah, so King Michael Key uh, was, if I'm mistaken, he was adopted. Mm -hmm. And he was doing research into his background. And he discovered that he had half-brothers. And one of them was Dwayne McDuffie, which when we were mentioning, when we did the, or the first part of the Dwayne McDuffie two-parter, Certain, I can't, I can't say it because I, I know I'm gonna say something. I just, I it may have, might offend someone. Basically, <laughs> the, the, the pitch for Marvel. Oh, the, yeah, the. <laughs> I'm always afraid to say it because I know if I mess it up, it's gonna be very, very bad. Yeah, and I, the teenage I, I, Negro Ninja Thrashers. Yeah, like <laughs> I can totally picture that being something that, like that. Keegan Michael Key would. I can see that on Key Peel. Uh <laughs> that's so great. Like, um the power did you ever watch Key Peel? Yeah, I've watched a few sketches here and there. Uh they have one there was one called that was basically a Power Rangers ripoff. <laughs> and Jordan Peel was uh Black Falcon. But he's actually Green <laughs> Falcon. This kept calling him Black Falcon. <laughs> it's just it's just really good, and there's also the infamous Black Ice, play on, the play on words. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he found out that he had uh, two of his brother, his half brothers were deceased, and on the Make It Weird podcast, mm -hmm. he mentions it, but he also mentioned it on another interview. I forgot which one it was, but yeah, he said he had he looked into his biological father's family and learned he had two half brothers. 
both of them had died. And one was, I think, 4849, uh, which was obviously Dwayne. Mm-hmm. Wasn't they like wrote for comics or something too? Or did animation? Yeah. yeah. Something else here. Okay, so yeah, Dwayne notes one problem with writing characters of colors um, or female characters, uh, which he calls the Wonder Woman problem. He says if he writes a white character, he has to know who that character is. Not all white characters are like that character. Um, His example is that if he writes Lex Luthor, not all white people are bad guys. Uh, Meanwhile, writing black characters ends up carrying extra weight for the whole race because there's so few of them. I think we discussed this in the first episode, too. Um, So, for example, if one character is in a street gang, that must mean all black characters are in a street gang. Um, So that's what Milestone tried to accomplish by expanding past that. Um, So that was one of the things he had set out to do with Milestone. And then the next uh, piece of trivia is one I just. (laughs) I I, I still I'm still confused by how how the confusion was made. Yeah. I'm not really sure. <laughs> so this is one of the things you could find on that Dwayne McDuffie Wayback Machine that Eugene's son was posting stories about that Dwayne had told him and stuff. So apparently Dwayne had once met Halle Berry. And this was, I think, right either when she was starting to get big or right before she got big, something like that. So Dwayne was a big Star Trek fan and was able to go to the premiere of Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country based on a friend saying he could get in. However, that ended up not being the case. Uh, so instead, he decided to sneak into the premiere. Halle Berry, who was, yeah, I said, still making a name for herself at the time, uh, walked in with a friend and few rows ahead of him. Now, they took notes of Dwayne, which is something he wanted, because if he was found out to not be in there with a pass, he would be kicked out. He figured out why they kept looking. And it was because they thought he was Michael Dorn. No matter what Dwayne said to convince her otherwise, it just ended up pissing her off because she knew without without a doubt that he was Michael Dorn. And she even mentioned to him that she had a crush on Michael Dorn at one point. But because he pissed her off to no end, just lying to her the way he was, she now thought he was a complete jerk. And that because Dwayne was being such a jerk that she no longer had a crush on Michael Dorn, essentially. And so this was made worse when Michael Dorn actually did show up in the film during a trial scene. And so Halle Berry stood up and started yelling at Dwayne about being in the movie, which he responded by saying, sit down, only to cause her to storm out of the premiere. And so, you know, Dwayne would end up working with Michael Dorn years later on Justice League Unlimited when he was Calabac and told the story to him. And he thought it was hilarious, though, you know, this potentially ruined his chance at ever being with Halle Berry. Uh, so so he decided to do in his best Klingon voice. Alan, you're a better Star Trek fan. Arm. Do you want to do your Klingon voice? And <laughs> I've killed men for less than that. <laughs> uh, yeah, just a just a great little story about him pissing off Halle Berry <laughs> for not being who she thought he was. So people often joke about Green Lantern John Stewart having the same name as the comedian and Daily Show former host John Stewart, 
And so in an episode of Justice League Unlimited, John is shown staring at some space debris floating by the watchtower. And Dwayne originally tried to work it in because everyone always made the joke where John would say, there it is, folks, your moment of Zen to you know, give it a little nod to the Daily Show host. But it was cut because apparently he was the only one who felt the joke could be used since everyone already knew it. So that never saw a lot of day. So there's an issue that came out this year, the Green Lantern 80th anniversary, uh, 100 page super spectacular because they can't just make the name simple uh, in which Dwayne's wife, Charlotte McDuffie and former milestone artist, Chris Cross wrote a story called reverse the polarity. And this would feature a team up uh, with John Stewart and hot girl. And this whole thing was a nod and tribute to her husband and his work on justice league unlimited. And there's even a substance in there. I think it's called Milestonium, which is a nod to, obviously, Milestone Media. Um, so if you haven't read that, please go read it. It's a really good story, and it's a nice little carryover from the Justice League Unlimited series. I uh, mean, I, I, I would, but I have every, every copy of it I have is bagged and bored and hide in, like, in, a, in a container, like a separate container. Uh, yeah. I'm kidding. I, I, well, sort of. <laughs> I do. I do have. A, I do have every every copy I have is a variant that is in, that has been bagged and boarded. Uh, yeah, yeah. Don't pull those out. Keep them in good shape. So, last thing I have here is um, Christopher Priest had a run on Steel between issues 34 and 52, in which he wrote John Henry as Dwayne McDuffie. <laughs> basically. Um, so this is what Christopher Priest has regarding doing that. He says, Dennis and I were tuckerizing him somewhat in steel. If you want to know Dwayne read steel 34 to 45 or so, at least that's my interpretation of him. I swear Dennis was drawing him. I called Dennis and said, Hey, are you drawing Dwayne? Dennis said, no, don't be ridiculous. Then I'm sure he got off the phone and proceeded to draw Dwayne. <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. So, yeah, that's basically everything I have. Um, the last thing I have is just please go read the sources between all the quotes, um, all the stories that Eugene Sun wrote on the Dwayne McDuffie site on the Wayback Machine. There's a lot of cool stuff out there. One of the things that they noted was that Dwayne McDuffie has a second birthday on January 1st, which came about because he never changed his birth date on like, I think it was Facebook. And so when January 1st would come around, people who should have known his birthday or didn't know his birthday would all <laughs> celebrate his birthday on that day. Um, so it just kind of became an inside joke that his second birthday was on New Year's Day. Um, or the story I'm not going to tell here about him heckling a black woman for criticizing him dating a white woman. Uh, that's on there as well. So. There's a ton of stuff in the sources. If you care at all about Dwayne McDuffie, please go through it. It's a lot of cool stuff, but that's all I have. Alan, is there anything else you want to talk about before we end this episode here? Um, basically just saying that I just want to say that Dwayne McDuffie has a legacy that I would, I'd say something like he's the, he's the black Stan Lee or the black Jack Kirby, but he, that's uh, Dennis Cowan said that, was an interview when asked about like diversity in comics and like, I don't remember which character he was referring to. I think it, it was either, it could have been Miles Morales or 
uh, Ironheart or a different character, but it was, it's better for them to be something of their own rather than another take on someone else. Mm-hmm. So Dwayne McDuffie was an icon, no pun intended, and he left a mark that will be the his, his work on comics and animation and just writing will be remembered for as long as there are comics and people who, who will read them. Yeah, I think we've said a lot about Dwayne over the last three episodes. You know, I think a lot of the biggest names that this industry has, a lot of it is because of the stories they've written. And while Dwayne has plenty of fantastic stories he's told, you know, during his time in comics, his impact is beyond that. It's people changed the industry based on the stories they told because the stories had to change to keep the audience around. But Dwayne told stories not just to keep an audience around, but to bring in a new audience. And it was an audience that was often not relating to what comics was doing. He changed the industry in a way that no other writer or creative person had up until this point. You know, you do have the Jack Kirby's, you do have the Stanley's, the Steve Ditko's and all this. But while they were just creating characters just to have another hero in a book, Dwayne was creating, I mean, he had help. I'm not, I don't want to put anyone, it was like a part of Milestone or anything, you know, as second fiddle to him. But, you know, he helped create a universe of people who for decades had been ignored in the comics medium. And he continued to give those people a voice. He continued to give them a face to see, to hear, you know, in the books. And I don't know of many people who can say the same thing that he was able to accomplish in, I mean, God, what was it? 20 years, basically. Yeah. I mean, he had such a huge impact in ways that no other writer has been able to do. And he did it in less time um, with far more controversy, um, far more barriers in his way. And I don't know if people will remember his stories so much as they will, you know, a Grant Morrison or Alan Moore, any of what are, you know, considered the top writers in the industry. But he shaped the industry in a way that none of them have ever been able to do. And I think that should be part of what people remember Dwayne by is that he gave people that did not have representation. We've used that word a lot. uh, Representation in the industry, someone to finally represent them. He helped bring diversity to the industry in a way that hadn't been prior. He continued to push it while he could. And he did all while making fantastic stories, making things relatable and funny and action packed and he will be missed. And there's has not been a voice like his since, since then. And the industry is better because he was in it. And I'm sure a lot of the people who had him in their lives can say the same thing about who they are as people as well, being better because he was their friend or a loved one or whomever. So, so to just shift tones, to something brighter. Um, I looked up on DC Universe the it's just a, re- a random issue or, or one of the issues that uh, Christopher Priest wrote mm-hmm. of Steel. 
and I shared it in the Facebook chat. And yeah, I found I found a panel where it looks like uh, Dwayne. <laughs> the only difference is, is lack of hair. Like lack of, <laughs> aside from that, it's yeah. There was a uh, let me see if I can find it here. There was a picture I had seen that kind of broke my heart. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you had seen it or not. Let me see if I can find it. Oh, no, did I not save it? Oh, no, I don't think I did. It was, I don't know who drew it. I don't know if it was Chris Cross or just a fan or somebody. I'm not sure. I can't even picture what it is in my head now. It was, I don't remember if it was Static in a comic book shop, and they were talking to a black dude who was in there who was very clearly Dwayne McDuff. And, you know, they were just talking about, you know, all, you know, thanking him for doing what he did. Dwayne, they never give Dwayne a speech bubble at all. And it just shows him like bending down and talking to a kid and all this. And then, you know, at the end of it, they walk into the, into the light, basically thanking him for. Yeah, I found it. Oh man, this makes me want to cry. Right. (laughs) I'll have to post that in the, on VGU. It's all the other stuff too. Yeah. Um, there's a line where Static says to uh, Dwayne, my point is everybody loves you now because you're no longer a threat. Folks who ignored and belittled your work in life are... Oh, I, th- I have it here. Yeah, uh, folks who ignored and belittled your work in life are anointing you in death. It has Rocket there with her kid. And she's like, it's like Dr. King. And he's like, I was going for Philip K. Dick, but the same principle applies. Just when the fans had yeah, figured uh, you out, you were deep too. Oh, sorry. What were you going to say? Uh, it was uh, John Paul Leon. Uh, yeah. And Matt Wayne wrote it. Cause it looks like it came out of an issue. I'm not sure where it came from. I'll say I'm going to save it and I'm going to put it on VGU. So if you're listening to this and you want to see it, please check that out. Yeah, there's That's also. Really- um, yeah, I'm looking at another page. Where. Dwayne is interac- interacting with uh, Rocket and her son. Mm-hmm. And that's just the last page or the last image. The last image is it's heavenly. Yep. That's just and what happens to legends. You're one of us now. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Dakota. Mm-hmm. They walk off into the light. Beautiful. It's rough. Seemed like a pretty good dude. I really would have liked to have met him. I'm sure a lot of people would say that. But his influence, I think, will be felt for a long time. And he should have been proud of the impact he left on everybody and the industry that he tried to change for the better. And I think he did just that. And his work still lives on. Static coming back. Milestone coming back. You know What he did with Deathlock is still... Still a thing and damage control. Yeah, if he, I just want. I really wish I could take take get a time machine, go to the, go back to him from a couple of years before he passed and show him the scene in Spider-Man: Homecoming where they introduce damage control. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's sad. There'll never be another Dwayne McDuffie. And now that the mood is all <laughs> somber and low, uh, I guess we. Might as well get into the outro here. 
please rate and review on whatever service you listen to podcasts on. Uh, that's us, and we always improve uh, based on your comments as well. So any input is appreciated. Um, don't forget to follow Hypertime to Podcast on Twitter at HypertimePod. Um, if you have any questions or topic suggestions, you can leave them there or email us at hypertime number two podcast at gmail.com. We also have other content if you're into video games. Um, check us out at vgu.tv, where the show notes will post, along with different content we write for video games. Um, you can also check out our VGU Twitter at VGU underscore TV. We have two other podcasts for video games if you want to check those out. First is Players Club Podcast, in which Emmett and you, Alan, discuss kind of what you're playing over the week and different um, kind of topics each week as well. Um, and then our podcast, Win, which is the Week in News podcast for video games. I'm thinking of changing the name to either the Week in News podcast or this Week in News podcast. Oh, yeah? I didn't... Just so I could call it the, the Twin Podcast. Ah, I like that. You can follow me on so that... Twitter... Oops, sorry. <laughs> sorry, go no, ahead. No, no, you can go. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at J-M-I-L-L-E-9-9. Um, Alan, where can they follow you at? They can follow me on Twitter at the Alan Muir. That's A-L-L-A-N-M-U-I-R. And it's time for... Alan's Tweet of the Bye Week. Uh, this one is just very simple, bare bones. Characters I think too much about. It's just a picture of uh, Fives from Clone Wars. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how like some of those small characters you just can't stop thinking about. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say he is a small character. He nearly exposed everything. <laughs> he's, he's the he's the one character in the show that I think everyone in Star Wars loves. <laughs> the character has a like a face tattoo or a head tattoo of a five on his forehead. Oh, jeez! Or kind of like on the like on his temple. So like the and like people's you'd expect people to rag on a character like with that with a tattoo on his head. And there are multiple clones with tattoos on their head on their face. One literally of the uh, tear, but yeah. Don't go, Josh. Don't go looking up uh, Star Wars fives because you're, <laughs> you're, you'll get spoiled for you get a pretty massive spoiler that is like six years. Oh, building. So, hey, you do have Disney Plus because or because of the uh, Game Pass. Yeah, at some point yeah. I need to get through and watch all that stuff. I know my son. I think he would like some of the Star Wars stuff, but just haven't. Yeah, uh, Clone Wars is a quote-unquote kids show and is quote-unquote for kids. <laughs> Rebels is a, a kids show that adults can enjoy. And Star Wars, Res- Res- Star Wars Resistance is a kids show. Just, that's the hierarchy. Is there one you think is better than the rest? Well... Clone Wars uh, for about for the first six seasons is is a bit of a, a bit of a work to progress because of how the animation is. Seven the seventh season, which is only I think twelve episodes, is 
some of the best animation I've ever seen ever. Hmm. Uh, Rebels has is basically. Have you ever seen the Star Wars uh, concept art that Ralph McQuarrie did mm. from like for like the original films? Maybe he uh, Star Wars Rebels is that the design is to honor Ralph McQuarrie, like in his his view of the Star Wars world, and they bring they bring things and get back into canon like Thrawn and other stuff from the EU or hmm. sorry sorry legends so if i if i had to give a watch order uh clone wars rebels and resistance then again that it sort of comes off as quality so well i have christmas break coming up so maybe i'll be able to sit down and watch at least some of it i don't know if i'll be able to get through six seasons seven seasons but well, they're they're about twenty minutes or twenty twenty two minutes per episode. Hmm. Have to give it a try, maybe. See if the animated shows will make me a Star Wars fan that the movies didn't. Well, actually, here's the thing: the uh, Clone Wars show will make you care about Anakin, and well, actually, that actually they have his like his character gets more development in that than he does in the prequels. Hmm. And with Rebels, Rebels is set during the time of uh, the original trilogy. And like, uh, they get really talented people. Like they get legends. I know I keep overusing that word legends, (laughs) but they, they, they got Tom Baker to be on the show back when it was running. Like you got the fourth doctor, a man that impacted a generation. And it's just, it's wonderful. It has been a never, it has never been a better time to be a Star Wars fan. Especially with all that news that just dropped from the Dan Buster Scott. You want yeah. Star Wars, you'll get Star Wars. 10 Star Wars shows. Or, or 10, yeah, 10, 10 Star Wars stuff. You want your Obi-Wan show? You got it. And here's Hayden Christensen. <laughs> you want Andor? Well, this isn't Star Trek, but you get Cassian Andor. <laughs> you want more Gina Carano? No, no, no. no. <laughs> I was gonna, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm Man. good. Thank you. Yeah, I, I've apparently people are t- dunking on the name of that show because the name Rangers of the New Republic sounds like Army Rangers. <laughs> sounds like a power metal band well i know you have a podcast tomorrow so let's go ahead and wrap this up that way you're not dying tomorrow on on win so yeah we have to cover i have to cover well there's gonna be hype for mass effect yeah dragon age yes so i feel i can i feel like i can just say roll take it take it away with mass effect and we'll, (laughs) we'll talk for like an hour and then he'll do the same thing with you for Dragon Rage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so with that, uh, we'll bid you all adieu, and we'll see you further down the hype time. Take care. Bye.
This has been a VGU.TV production. For all of the hottest hot takes and other opinions on video games, music, and a lot more, tune in to VGU.TV.